Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hello, podcast first. Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. Trying to mix. Santosh, it's a new season. We have that means we've got a few things we have to recycle, a few concepts that I like to bring back every year. <laughs> Are you going to bring it back? Bring it back, I am. back, back. I am. Uh, I'm gonna. T- I'm just. I'm taking it back to the old school because I'm an old ooh. fool who's yes. so cool. So if you want to get down, let me show yeah. you the way. Let me hear you say, "No, not whoop." There it is. But it's time. <laughs> it's time for another around the world in eighty plays. That's right. Oh, yeah. I'm committed oh, yeah. to never buying us a soundboard. All effects <laughs> on this show will be freely downloaded or made with my mouth. I, I think that it would be awesome to come to a future just a few years from now where we can actually just be like, oh, yeah, yeah everything is done by like mouth Foley artists on podcast. When did that start? Oh, you know, back in 2013 with these two doctors, Josh and Santosh. This, what's this week's plague, Santosh? Can we go somewhere fun? Oh, uh, absolutely. We, we're actually going to go everywhere, um, including uh, into the soil. We're going to go into dirt. And then we're going to go into everybody's mouths. We're not going to put the dirt in the mouths, but we'll also go into everybody's mouths, including animal, animals' mouths, animal mouths. 
So let's dish the dirt on lumpy bumpy disease and actinomycosis. But first, a brief sojourn through history. Let's see, which of my only two historical periods that I care about should we focus on today? <laughs> How about... Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do ancient Egypt for this one. <laughs> it's actually not so much an infection of ancient Egyptians, although maybe they're livestock, but... The specific organism we're going to be talking about today, actinomyces, is really infecting more than anything else pyramids. That's right. It's a disease of pyramids because <laughs> actinomyces, which we'll talk about in a little bit Wait, more in a does moment. This mean, does this mean that one microbe tries to like get other microbes to sell to other microbes and get those microbes to sell to yet other microbes. <laughs> All these microbes form up into a giant scheme in these pyramids to uh -huh. create a biofilm. And that biofilm is degrading all the murals and paintings in tombs. So, <gasps> so actinomyces as microorganisms have been recognized as a serious deterioration factor in decaying archaeological stone and mural paintings. And that affects the discoloring of pigments, the weakness of the stone, the weakness of the pigment layer. So all these recorded bits of history that weren't put down in some of the papyri we've talked about are slowly being eroded and eaten by pyramid bacteria. So oh, man. Let's talk very, very briefly about how they were first discovered. And when I say briefly, I'm not kidding. This was a tough one to dig up a lot of fun history on. And hopefully, yeah. Santosh, you can fill it in a little bit more because I know you just recently presented a whole paper on this stuff. It, it was. It was It was a presentation. We have an amazing series of lectures down here in Los Angeles where all the pediatric infectious disease doctors in SoCal get together. Uh, and we uh, we usually have dinner and everything, but this time we didn't get to. And we present cases and, uh, you know, we, we get to discuss them back and forth and talk about, you know, what do we do right? What do we do wrong? What's on the horizon and research? So I got to present this, uh, the 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 bacteria as a whole, I had a young man who had a bone infection, actually, Josh, it, it got into the bone and I'm, you know, helped treat him. And after that, I was like, what is up with this bacteria? Because I'll tell you, you know, we'll get into it. It is an anaerobic bacteria, meaning it doesn't use oxygen in order to survive and metabolize. But even among that niche subject, because anaerobes are not super well studied in bacteriology, but they're really important. But even then, actinomyces is kind of like the, the like the younger child, like the, the neglected middle child. You were Everyone, trying to say redheaded stepchild. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is too, because it makes these sulfur granules, which are kind of like yellow oranges. <laughs> so let's talk yeah. about the redheaded stepchild of the bacterial world, actinomyces. Of, of, the, of the anaerobic bacterial world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the first people who discovered any form of this was oh josh yeah wait wait before we have to let the the people guess we have to let them guess where like where in the world we're going in terms of the discovery and uh well you know, we sneak around the world from kiev to carolina <laughs> we will deal with all infections from berlin down to belize, to belize. 
<laughs> now don't believe all this talk here about a virus out of China. Tell us where in the in world the- are the 80 plagues? <laughs> Oh my god. Do you think it's in the public domain yet, Josh? That could be our theme song for the 80 plagues. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Doop a doop a doop. <laughs> so 1877, pathologist sure, sure. pathologist Otto Bollinger, excellent veterinary medical background. So even though he was a human pathologist, did a lot of veterinary medicine, and you learned a little bit about that from our previous episode, Pet's Best Friend. And he first discovered this strange-looking bacteria in cattle, and Mm -hmm. therefore it took on the name A. bovis, like Actinomyces bovis. A mere year later, we discovered the most – yes? Oh, let me let me pause here a moment because a lot of people who listen to our podcast, you know, if you're medical, if you're in science, you hear that word myces on the end, M-Y-C-E-S, and the first thing that comes to mind is fungus. And so why why they name it after a fungus? Well, Josh, it turns out that you know he was looking under the microscope, and what he actually saw were these strands of bacteria which looked like fungal mycelia. And so he'd see a clump of bacteria, and then it would have this this long string of a colony that came out that wasn't actually the mycelia that you have in fungi, but they were chains of bacteria together. So he originally thought this thing was a fungus, and he said, oh, they're in ruminants, right? They're in these these cud-chewing animals. Um, And by the way, lumpy jaw was around for a long time. That's how he found it. And... um, if you guys have a, a strong stomach, right, Josh? You can look up lumpy jaw. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> lumpy, so you, lumpy, bumpy jaw. Lumpy, bumpy jaw, and the cows with the big thing. So there were lots of people before Bollinger who were like, "Oh, there's something here which is lumpy jaw, and it's going around. It must be, you know, germ theory was coming around. It must be, you know, a, a pathogen, a microscopic pathogen, and." They didn't figure out what it was. That was a problem. He did the pathology. He found these fungal-looking things called it actinomyces. His original thought was, oh, it's a fungus like a mold spore and that kind of thing. It must come from the moldy hay. So he didn't think it was in their mouths at first. He thought it was just like in the grass or in the hay, and that was coming into these ruminants' mouths and then you know taking hold and causing the lumpy, bumpy jaw. Not yeah. even a year later. We mm-hmm. found, we had the discovery of the human strain that could cause disease, Actinomyces israeli. And I know what you're thinking. Where in the world was this possibly <laughs> discovered? <laughs> yeah. You know, this, this is like who's buried in Grant's tomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't given the name Israeli, you know, right off the bat. The reason it was called Israeli, Josh, is because, and this this poor guy, he was a wonderful Jewish doctor, but his name was James Adolf Israel. <laughs> Jewish, German, oral yeah. maxillofacial surgeon. And James, urologist. And <laughs> urologist. So yeah. that's... That's a weird combo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh, you know, you know. Oh, the jaw, fixing the jaw. Oh, why don't I do the penis for a bit? <laughs> so, what are your specialties, Surgeon James Israel? Uh, the jaw and the junk. <laughs> 
Oh my God. And there is, there's a horrible, you know, uh, euphemism in there somewhere. <laughs> so surgeon James Israel dealing with the jaw and the junk discovered uh-huh. the lumpy jaw, lumpy, bumpy jaw, <laughs> bacteria, actinomyces Israeli in humans a year after pathologist Otto Bollinger discovered it in cattle. And originally, as you said, uh, as far even as 1890, people were thinking that this was more an issue with the hay. And only in 1890 was it finally cultured out of the soil and some grass, which led to the belief at the time that it was only these hayseed individuals who chewed grass or straw that would get infected. So they're like, oh, the only humans who are getting this are rubes who are walking around with straw in their mouth. Yeah. If people don't eat grass, we're fine. <laughs> and to be fair, they were thinking of other grasses that people would eat, right? Like so wheat and barley and these kind of a things. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all this time, by the way, you know, and he, you know, James Adolf Israel was working and he he described the disease in humans and then he switched over to doing the actual bacteriology, the microscopic work with Dr. Max Wolf. Can you get more German than that? So, <laughs> I got the PDF of their original paper in German. And you wouldn't believe, Josh, at that time, of course, there was no photography on the microscope. You couldn't hook up a camera. The most gorgeous hand-drawn pictures of when he would pull his, his big, beautiful beard out of the way and then look down the microscope right? The most gorgeous hand-drawn pictures of the colonies of actinomyces and then the clumping and, and how, you know, he, he drew out the mycelia and things like that. But it was because of Dr. Israel and Dr. Wolf. And then later on, you know, some, some effort was going on where they actually showed, oh, it's actually not a fungus. You know, what we're actually seeing are just little colonies of bacteria that clump together to look like a fungus. So it was really amazing work that this guy who was a penis and face surgeon <laughs> moved over and saying penis and face surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> and and he moved over though and he, he went over to the microscope and he was also able to describe the actual bacteriology of uh, and, and microscopic uh, pathology of this uh, thing, of this this crazy disease. So let's talk a little bit about the bacteria that causes the disease and then the disease itself. So actinomyces, before I let Santosh have too much fun, <laughs> yeah, it's a gram-positive facultative anaerobe, meaning it prefers no oxygen, but it can work in oxygen environments except for a Israeli, which is an obligate anaerobe. There can't be any oxygen around or else it will die. This bacteria can form spores and it's rod-shaped. The medical etymology is it comes from the Greek actis, which means ray, and mykes, which means fungus. So, Santosh, tell us about the fastidious bacteria ray fungus. Ray fungus. <laughs> It's it's so distracting. And, you know, we can't rename it now because it's been actinomyces for so long. Like we can't we can't change it over to like actinobacillus, especially because there's already a genus of actinobacillus. We have to remember it is a bacteria, not a fungus. So 
These are the ones that live in the you know gum and crevices of your teeth. Okay, so they hang out in there, and by and large, Josh, while they're in there, no problems whatsoever. They might contribute a little bit to your bad breath. You know, <laughs> it goes on over there. Uh, the ones that live in your mouth. The the biggest problem with it, Josh, is it's a disrespectful bacteria. It doesn't like to obey boundaries. Starting out with, you know, when you look at it under a microscope, you see these things called sulfur granules. And they're not actually sulfur. They're clumps of the bacteria that are so packed together that they just look like one big lump. And when you look at it under low magnification, they look a little bit yellowish. And so they, they were originally thought to be sulfur, but there's that lump. And then there's this reaching out of these little fingers that look like mycelia, and that's the trailing actinomycetes. Well, when they, when they take a hold in a spot where they want to grow, what happens with most other bacteria is you can wall it off with an abscess. So staph aureus, for instance, it goes to the lungs, it starts to get destructive and this kind of a thing, but the body kinds of walls it off and you get a bad abscess. The abscess can break and leak and do these kind of things, but it holds. Actinomyces, right, if it gets down into the lungs, will punch right through the lung, and then the pleura, and then the rib, and the muscle, and the skin, and then it'll form a draining fistula, which comes out on the outside. It just, it doesn't care about the boundaries. It'll just pull, 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 pull right through. And the, the reason for that is it doesn't invoke a very strong inflammatory response. It just, it takes its time. It's a chronic, slow-growing eh, kind of thing. So and imagine for, yeah. a bacteria comes up to you like a normal bully and it just punches you. You're caught off guard once, but then you're yeah. always a little bit more careful. Well, actinomyces is that little kid version of the bully who comes over and just keeps poking and poking yeah. and poking. <laughs> Never enough to trigger a true response. Yeah. Um, you know, like where you turn around, haul off, and smack the little uh <laughs> smack the little darling. But Enough that it can eventually erode its way through every single layer you put in front of it and cause, as you said, these draining fistulas. Yeah, and that's that's the pain. It's uh, I was even going to say it's like the the psychological bully, the one that just kind of wears on. As we said, this bacteria is one of the most common causes of dental infections and oral abscesses, uh, largely because it normally lives in the mouth doing a lot of nothing and. Before we go into disease states, keep in mind this exact same bacteria, actinomyces, most of the antibiotics used in both the human and veterinary medical world are produced by strains of actinomyces. Uh, although specifically it's the genus streptomyces that's making most of them rather than actinomyces. That's true. So Josh, if you go on to PubMed, and I'll, I'll encourage everybody who knows how to use PubMed, or if you've never used PubMed before, to please go ahead and, and jump on. It's a wonderful, uh, that's, that's our main site for, uh, you know, medical biological research papers. It's the, it's the, uh, no, I was going to say that's the suppository. <laughs> it's the depository. <laughs> It's the depository for most of those papers. Um, and, and you have to know how to use it. It's a lot like Google. You can get bad answers if you have bad, ask bad questions. But if you just tap, type in actinomycosis or actinomyces, there's, you know, it, you know, you see the 1800s, the late 1800s, it pops up your favorite Victorian era with the giant beards and awesome facial hair. 
And then it's going along, it's going along. People are kind of looking at it. Nah, okay, fine. It's in the soil. You find it a lot in the soil. So if you have a penetrating injury and it's contaminated, you have to worry about it. Or if it's in the jaw and you don't take good care of your teeth, you have to take care of it. But then there's this explosion of research in the 1940s, right when the first antibiotics were being discovered in the midst of World War II. And so, yeah, it's it's related to the, you know, streptomyces, which, uh, you know, not penicillium, which are those fungi over there, but streptomyces, which is a bacteria that makes antibacterials. Josh, it's so awesome. That's a little bit about the bacteria. Well, let's talk a little bit epidemiologically. Santosh, I know that, you know, every now and again, you like to do pediatric stuff. Mm-hmm. So at the age of two months, you know, fresh out of the oven, one th- <laughs> One third of infants were already colonized with actinomyces. So when we say that this lives in you, I'm not kidding. And this was in this was on oral mucosal surfaces, so the gums of these infants who didn't even have teeth yet. We had bacteria growing out. So at two months, a third of infants are already colonized. At one year, over 90% of children have one or more species of actinomyces in their mouth. And the bacterial ability to form biofilms, which again, I'll have Santosh talk about in a moment, is usually what leads to plaque formation in the gums. So this is one that those of you in the dental world also would care a lot about. Interestingly, actinomycosis, the disease, tends to affect men more than women in about a three to one ratio, normally in the fourth to fifth decade of life. So even though we started with it being gentle and hanging out in our mouths as a pediatric colonizing thing, the dangerous form, which is what we're going to talk about now, actinomycosis, is usually a disease that starts happening around your 40s or 50s. So, Santosh, tell us about the actinomycosis lumpy jaw disease. Yeah, this is the most common form of actinomycosis. There's lots of other forms that can happen, but essentially, just like we said before, actinomyces does not respect any boundaries. If it can find a way to break out of its environment of its local environment it will start to just and and it's not trying to hurt anything it's just chewing on stuff as it moves (laughs) what happens is you have it in your gums and your teeth usually there's uh, you know some bad dentition although there doesn't necessarily have to be other risk factors josh are diabetes if you have uncontrolled diabetes If you do have immunosuppression, like you're taking corticosteroids, interestingly, Josh, if people are on bisphosphonates for osteoporosis, and if they've gotten leukemia with therapy or radiation, um, alcoholism is another one, and then local tissue trauma. So one of those things happens. And it could be something as simple as, you know, you, you get a tear in your gums or something like that. Now, You've got an extension of this bacteria and very slow and chronic. It kind of marches along and and gets into the spaces between the, the gums and the jaw, like the soft tissue spaces. And it it has this almost like a tumor-like growth, this slow, indolent growth, which would look, you know, to the world like cancer. It's not very tender. It's not very hot. It's not this spurious abscess that we have with other bacteria that we've talked about. And it just grows and grows. And slowly, when the lump gets big enough, 
way back in the day, in the 1900s and all this, when it got big enough to where the person would say, hey, this is affecting my life, then they would finally go to this. They'd say, hey, this is affecting my life. (laughs) Or they might not. They might not because they could just talk with the other side of their mouth. And interestingly, it wouldn't necessarily invade backwards, although it can get into the deep spaces of the neck, um, then they would finally go and hopefully, you know, now penicillin, you know, penicillin was around in the 1940s. But before then, Josh, you just had to like cut it out. There was no way you just had to slice it. And so then they they take out the jaw and, and people have you know representations of this and you can actually look up we can we can put in links for the lumpy jaw especially in the cows and the the weirdest thing josh is the jaw itself the bone and the soft tissues start looking just like swiss cheese just holes and you know erosions and this kind of a thing where the bacteria just fill it in with pus and abscess and all this kind of a thing but oddly it doesn't hurt and it's not tender it just it just hangs out right there and more commonly than not just like you had the original extension now it can move in different directions so if there's a passage it can take to the back of the neck or to the face then it'll start to eat away there or it'll get to the neck into the um not the spinal cord but to the vertebrae um or if you cough and it, it gets into your lungs or something then it can start to have thoracic mycoses and this kind of a thing now it does colonize your whole gut, not just your mouth and your oropharynx. So if you do have disruption of the gut mucosa, the intestines, then you could potentially have actinomyces in the abdomen. So same thing in the face, but you know, just an abdominal abscess. And then lately, Josh, we have been seeing a little bit more commonly pelvic mycoses in women, actinomycoses, because uh, occasionally, unfortunately, and I don't want to say anything bad about IUDs because they're wonderful, very, very good devices. But on occasion, you know, there have been IUDs, um, you know, they've migrated and they've, they've actually punctured through the uterine wall and there is actinomyces in the vaginal canal and the cervix as well. And then it migrates and causes a, a pelvic actinomyces. Uh, so a couple, like a couple takeaways. One, actinomyces does an infection does not occur in isolation. It's a great team player and it depends on other gram positive or negative bacteria to pave the road to infection. So all these things you heard, trauma to the jaw, radiation, poor oral hygiene, recent dental procedures, IUDs, all of these already create potentials for infection to get in. And actinomyces will kind of walk in once the door has been unlocked and the path has been opened. So it's a team player and it does not initiate a lot of these infections on its own or in a vacuum. Yeah, it's a uh, it's uh coattails. <laughs> not phony tails. <laughs> not campfire but, tails. Not ca- but coattails. <laughs> uh, so. so it's found in the company so you you get the abscess out right and you send it for culture and you'll find three or four or five different culturable bacteria so the bone abscess that i told you about that led me to research all of this in the first place i found five different bacteria josh and one of them was actinomyces <laughs> Yeah. Now, you did mention these sulfur granules that are not what we call pathognomonic, 
uh, in the sense that they're not present in every single actinomyces infection. But if you see them, you definitely have actinomyces. Yes. Yeah. It's the, the, you you can pick them out and um, they're so strange. They look like a sheet uh, under the microscope. They just look like a big lump uh, sitting in the middle and then surrounded by inflammatory cells, just absolutely, you know, and it's, it's kind of funny because that, that clumped up colony like that, Josh, that's like, all those little bullies, they're huddling together. They're huddling and, and the, the neutrophils can get around the outside of those granules and kind of like chop away, but they can't get down to the center of that granule. So that's where the bacteria can continue to like kind of multiply from the middle and then reach out to try to, you know, move forward while the outside bacteria kind of palisade and, and you know, <laughs> hold the rest of the colony together. It's very creepy. So a lot of the, if you have actinomyces, it's the great pretender of the head and neck, not to be confused with the great pretender, which is the disease that essentially every, it's the lifetime achievement award for any disease. So syphilis (laughs) got it first, tuberculosis wanted it, HIV was a contender for a while. And now Mm -hmm. they're just having all these spinoff award ceremonies in the bacterial world where they're like the great pretender of the head and neck, actinomyces. (laughs) And the reason for that is a lot like tuberculosis, which is also, it's a little difficult to culture. It's very slow growing unless you have the right conditions in the right lab. A lot of the time, if you don't have a good pathologist who knows what they're doing, if you don't have a good uh, laboratory, you may end up with you know, you, you take out this lump or something and then you can't tell, is it a tumor? Is it, you know, some sort of bacterial infection? Is it reactive or rheumatologic? And sometimes these people are, you know, they miss the treatment because you're not able to actually find the bacteria. So that's why it mimics all these other different conditions, not just infectious conditions, but, you know, oncologic conditions as well. Really have to have someone who knows what they're looking for. Yeah, because you don't want an infection misdiagnosed as cancer. That ends poorly for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah. Luckily, nowadays, that's less of a worry, but absolutely, that would be, oh my God, yeah. So let's say you've managed to diagnose this condition with somebody who's got swelling, cough, low-grade fever, weight loss, recent dental injuries, or trauma to the jaw. You do your, you know, you get your scientists, they take samples, and they look underneath the microscope and see these sulfur granules from collections of pus. What do you do for treatment? Well, in general, actinomyces are susceptible to penicillins and other antibiotics, you know, the same ones that they help to make when extracted from the soil. <laughs> well, they're cousins, not... not. <laughs> but and, and to, to be fair, Josh, to be fair, they, they aren't susceptible to the streptomycins, which are the ones that their cousins make. They're, they're susceptible to the, the antibacterials that the fungi, that the fungal things make. And they're intrinsically resistant to metronidazole, which is what we use for all flagellated bacteria or any bacteria that has its own little tail to propel mm-hmm. it around. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I always think of flagellated bacteria as the ones that like you beat them with a whip. No, (laughs) I always think of them as little farting bacteria, but that's because I get flatulent and flagellated confused a lot. (laughs) 
at least mine's related because the flagellating is the same as like that whip tail is the same as oh, that whip. Oh, you say this and then look at somebody who's got a flagellated bacteria infection. What do they have? Diarrhea. So they've got a lot of farting. <laughs> I stand by it. Fine. <laughs> All right. Okay. Listening audience, not in medical school, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, yes. so, uh, the point is, this is just like it's a very slow-growing disease, it also takes a long time to treat and totally clear. About three months of therapy seems to be the minimum required for long-term success and prevention of reinfection, although there can be treatment failures in people where the bacteria hides for up to 16 years hiding away in the body. And this is kind of the weird thing, Josh. There have been success stories looking a few years out in patients with things like bone infection and things like that, where they've only been treated for six weeks or a month. And then you you actually look a few years out and you still don't see any infection. And then there are others where you've treated for three months, six months. Um, some people who have an artificial limb or an artificial uh, joint, like um, a hip replacement or a knee replacement, and those people are put on what's called lifetime suppression with a antibacterial. And these folks still, you know, you, you do everything right and you do everything you can. And this this bastard just comes back and it's not resistant that's a weird thing it's just like it just hangs around it's like you know it goes so slowly the bacteria just or the antibiotic zips right by and the bacteria is like oh oh what was that yeah yeah and And it makes sense because the antibiotics that we're using are antibiotics that attack the formation of the cell wall as the as the new bacteria grow and divide. So if the bacteria are growing so slow that the rates of division are slow and the building of the cell wall and the recycling of the cell wall is slow, now you have you know, less targets for the antibiotics to actually act on. The enzymes aren't as active and to actually pick up the antibiotic and, and get bound up. So this is the same principle, Josh, like tuberculosis. And, you know, if you're treating a, a chronic fungal infection, like coccidioides or aspergillus, is that the slower and more indolent the disease, the longer it takes to treat with your antibiotic of choice. Or as they say in the infection world, the slower it grows, the longer you go. Or I assume. <laughs> uh, you, no, you guys no, like rhyming that. things, right? <laughs> Interestingly, no, no, <laughs> as an anaerobe, you can in fact kill it with oxygen. So some centers will use hyperbaric oxygen chambers for refractory disease. But just like antibiotics, the response to this treatment is slow and take months on months. That's really cool. That's one of those that I had not yet researched and found out about. That's cool to learn that you can use the hyperbaric chamber. It makes a lot of sense. Which means that this could potentially be either a real big problem in future space exploration where there's no oxygen to scream so it can grow unchecked, or in all those highly oxygenized pressure chambers, this won't even be an issue should humans ever get out to you know long-term space travel or working in low-gravity environments.
<laughs> Although it may, Josh, because, you know, you still have it in your mouth. Well, the reason I bring this up is after months and months and months without anything, I do have a small, just the tip, that directly involves actinomyces. Ooh, okay, okay. So first discovered by NASA at Lava Beds National Monument, there is a cave... There is a cave known as Golden Dome Cave where these microorganisms live, actinomyces, live without ever seeing the sun, and they're hydrophobic, so water beads up on them. So if you walk into Golden Dome and you look up, the roof of the cave is covered in a luminous golden sparkle that's a combination of bacteria, water, and light. And NASA has been studying some of that. Um, because they'd really like to know, again, how these low-gravity environments and other kinds of cave beds may relate to future space exploration. That's so, so neat. Because now you found something which doesn't really need an atmosphere. So you've got, you know, the genesis for life and, and ongoing life without the influence of what we usually think of what you need is energy input in order to start life, which is sunshine. Um, and not necessarily the classical nutrients we're thinking about, you know, it's not, it, it's finding its own maybe carboniferous materials and things like that. But it's it's doing it you know outside of what we would classically think of as giving you the energy you needed to kind of kickstart and keep life going so this tells us that yes life can flourish you know if there's no atmosphere fine no big deal if there's no you know direct nutrients and everything yeah you just a little bit of water and a place to hang out so the reason NASA has taken an interest is that the colony may be similar to microorganisms that could survive on Mars. And with us now finding water on the moon and water on Mars and caves like that, this could be something that we already have knowledge of how to contend with or that they may have to make adjustments for when trying to terraform or do any sort of planetary exploration. So I've brought you all the way from ancient Egyptian murals and cave paintings or pyramid paintings into the future where these bacteria may be hanging out waiting for us to arrive in space. So if you'd like to see what that looks like, you can go to Tula Lake in California and explore Lava Beds National Monument. Golden Dome Cave is the specific one that we're talking about, but it's also fun to walk through Skull Cave, which is one of the easiest to explore. And yes, it was named because two human skeletons were once discovered inside. So... <laughs> I mean, not like recently, but <laughs> not like all at the same time. It's like skull. But the skull. park service, the park service provides free guided tours of the caves. But visitors can go caving on their own anytime they'd like, even in the middle of the night, uh, which may be slightly affected by the pandemic. But the point being, it's open. It's a national park. It's super cool, glowing bacteria, and now you have a whole bunch of information about other things it can do. So. Just a tip, you guys. We're back and in business. It was. And and just like Josh had started off at the very beginning with his uh, awesome description of 
the Egyptian murals. It is found in soil. It is ubiquitous anywhere where you see dirt, soil, that kind of a thing. So certainly, certainly, it, you're going to find it you know, in those caves. If you go into the pyramids and that kind of a thing, and they have a chance to be deprived of oxygen, so you actually seal the chamber um, it'll it'll actually have a chance to you know grow and then it's going to use any energy source that it can. So you know those paints have a little bit of sugars and proteins and different you know carbon things in there. So it's going to chew 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 and unfortunately erode those murals. And Josh, one beautiful other biological example where you can find actinomycoses. Okay, ancient rhinoceroses. <laughs> we have found actinomyces going back to you know paleo age a little bit further back uh you know before some of these megafauna and other ancestors of modern ruminant animals existed we have found lumpy bumpy jaw in the fossil record <laughs> Dino cows. So, yeah, prehis not just dino cows, prehistoric rhinoceroses, dude. <laughs> so the next time you see the Geico commercials with the caveman and you wonder why he looks so strange, maybe he's got a lumpy jaw from snacking <laughs> from uh riding around on a dino. No, no, no. No, uh, no, no. That <laughs> this, this has been so this particular bacteria and its accompanying disease is everywhere it's all over the earth covering all the carmen san diego continents it is mm -hmm. potentially in space it is slow growing so it's not an imminent danger but it's definitely something that can put a real hamper in your day uh, yeah so and you know it's it's so cool yeah <laughs> so watch for that but that's it for this week's Around the world in 80 plagues. <laughs> oh, it feels so good to get that one, you know, just on the record. It 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 had been too many episodes without a plague. It, it was. I, I, I hope you guys loved it because getting a little bit of uh, celebrity for this poor little neglected uh, anaerobe, even amongst anaerobe fans, uh, something that I'd love to do. So, you know, I, 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 I love it for the fact that its cousins came up with antibiotics for us. Um, when it stays where it's supposed to in the mouth, it, it serves a beautiful commensal purpose to help, you know, keep our mouth nice and healthy. But, uh, yeah, go, go out there and tell people about the podcast, but more importantly, or less importantly, tell people about actinomyces. So that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links to, to sources used in researching this episode. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, Wash your hands, wear a mask, stay safe, and if you can, happy travels. Happy travels.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.